Acts chapter 2. We're, conti- we're starting uh, just a little short series here on the doctrines of the church, why we believe what we believe. Tonight's just an introduction to that. We're going to look at the doctrine of this really first century church. And we look here at the doctrine of this church and what we can learn from it. And we see the attributes of this church. We see all that God uh, was doing with them as they operated under true doctrine. I want to encourage you to plan on being here Wednesday night. Wednesday night we began a series on prayer. I told you last Sunday night we were going to begin a series on Abraham. I've, I've, got, I've got that ready. And then uh, Monday and Tuesday I really struggled with that. And I knew uh, Tuesday afternoon what we needed to, to, to do on Wednesday night. We'll be doing that for uh, I don't know how long. We'll see how long it takes. This Wednesday we're going to just look at the simple aspect of how to properly pray. We have an example that Jesus gave us. There's some things that we can learn from that so we can make sure our prayers are pleasing unto him and our prayers are just as he desires them to be. So please plan on being here Wednesday night for that. But tonight we're looking at the thought of why doctrine matters. So let's stand together, Acts chapter 2. We're going to read quite a few verses tonight, but I really just want to read this, this whole message here that we find. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. It says, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, Thou thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance, men and brethren. Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that is both dead and buried, and a sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this, before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ." Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Same question we heard this morning. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the the gift of the Holy Ghost. For For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them 
about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Why doctrine matters. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is to be in church together tonight. And God, I pray that you would help us now to, uh, Lord, look to you in your word. Lord, to be willing to be obedient to what we find here, Lord, to, uh, that we have a renewed awareness of the privilege that it is to have true doctrine that we can stand upon that will never change. And God, I pray that as we strive to be people that stand for, for true doctrine, God, that we would see the results of it in our personal lives and in our church. So bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. All right, at this time, I talked to four young people before the service began. I want them to come down here and meet me at the front. So if you're one of those people, I want you to come down. All right, we got... All right. Got some volunteers here tonight, okay? Everybody knows who these people are, right? What's your name, young man? You know, can you tell me your name? Jackson. Jackson. You got this mic on yet? Can we get this mic on, RX2, is it on? They know your name, you can say it though. Jackson. Okay. This guy right here is, the, is we could, if we could bottle up the energy and the happy spirit this guy has, we'd all be doing pretty good. Wait, wait, can you tell us your name? Benaya. Benaya. Jasmine. Sean. Sean, all right. Now, we have here, I got two things I want you to work on. Can you guys all see this? Okay. I went and raided the decoration closet, okay? And I found this vase and I found a bunch of beads and me and my wife counted these this afternoon and we know exactly how many beads, these, in, these beads are in this vase, okay? So right now I want you guys to think about how many you think there are and the winner, the one that's closest gets $5. Does that sound pretty good? Okay? But while you're thinking about how many are in there and before we get your answers, I want you to also think about the best season of the year, Okay? I'm not necessarily talking about your favorite season. I want you to think about the whole world. I want you to think about the people in this room and what you think the best season we have. There's four options, okay? You know the four, the four seasons? Winter, spring, summer, fall. You guys got that? Okay? So I want you to tell me which one you think is, you, you think is the best, not just for you, but for everybody. Can you guys do that? Okay? While we're thinking of that. Jackson, what do you think the best season is? Spring. Spring. Why do you think that? Because parents don't want their kids at home because that's why I didn't pick summer so it's a warm month but it's good for the parents because kids aren't home yeah okay all right Benaya you think you got an answer yet all right what is it summer why summer because why do you think it's good for everybody because you can go on a vacation or something okay okay that's a good one okay Sean what do you think it is Hmm, summer. What's your reason? Hmm. Hmm. Because it's so hot that you get to go in the pool. In the pool? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Jasmine, what do you think? Winter. Winter. 
See, I like winter. Okay, why do you why do you say winter? Because you can have snowball fights. Snowball fights. Okay, everybody likes a good snowball fight. Okay, now, spring, summer, summer, winter. Okay, those are all those are all good opinions. And I was trying to think about what I think the best season is, and I'm not going to say summer because some people really dislike the hot, the heat. Okay, but for some people. It gets really hot. And you think, I've never been here for a summer, but I imagine it's pretty hot here, right? That's what everybody keeps telling me. You guys had us come out in the fall, so we didn't have to experience this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, I don't, I don't think it's summer, okay? And then I also can't say that it's winter, even though I really like winter. I really do like winter. But for some people, all they get is snow. For here, winter's pretty nice. It's mild. It's comfortable, so it makes sense for here. But if you think about everybody, maybe not winter so what i'm thinking is fall or spring okay and i'm going to say fall because even though we won't see it here too much the leaves change colors and but also football comes in the fall and a lot of other cool things come in the fall okay and when fall's over christmas is here that's the other thing okay and everybody likes christmas so you guys do you do you, do you think i falls better than what you said Did I, did I convince you? Do you, you agree with me? You think for everybody, may, maybe not summer? Himes, what do you think? What? You still sticking with spring? Yeah. <laughs> I can't get anybody. Did anybody think fall's the best? Anybody? Okay. All right. Okay, now, we got, we got those answers. Now we got this to deal with. Who thinks they have a good guess at how many beads are in that vase? You got it? 193. Okay, 193, okay. 100. 100, you sure? Okay. 196. That's a smart man right there. 50. 50, okay. Now, I, I, had, I had it memorized, I gotta look at this. Do you guys wanna know the number? No. So we got, in the hundreds, you don't want to know how many there actually are? 593. I was the closest. No. <laughs> he, he went above you, so he got it. So everybody give Sean a hand. Sean wins the $5. Okay. All right, you guys can take a seat. You guys can take a seat. All right, we had, we had two different discussion times there, Okay. And we had those beads, we had a number they had to guess, and then we asked them the seasons. And the seasons, they all gave their opinion, they all gave their, their uh, preference, and I did my best to try to persuade them, and I gave them a good reasoning, I think my reasoning is the best. We had opinions on both, one was a preference, the other was an absolute, Right? I, I asked them to name the best season of the year, and they gave their reasoning for it, but I think it'd be hard for us to get everyone to agree what that is. And we could do our best to try to persuade, and sometimes their opinion may be summer, sometimes it may be spring, sometimes it may be fall, sometimes it may be winter, but when it comes to how many beads are in that vase, that number was not going to change because there's only a certain amount of beads in that vase. As much as I could try to convince them that it was a different number than 593, there's 593 in that vase. You know, truth is truth, right? Doctrine is doctrine. 
And the, the, the doctrine that Christ established has not and will not change. And there's so many people in this world, so many churches in our society that have tried to change what the Bible says. And if we understand what God has given us is never changing in absolute. It's something that no matter how many preferences we may hear, no matter how many people may try to give us their opinion or to convince us that things are different, the word of God has remained the same. You know, there's some things that Baptists may defer on and still be on the same page doctrinally. For instance, uh, how often a church has communion, Jesus didn't tell us how often we're supposed to have it. He says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me, right? So one church may do it once a year, the other church may do it three times a year. You know, a church may defer on how many deacons you should have. A church may defer on whether or not you have a handshake time or not. A church may defer on many different things, but those are simply differences. Those are simply opinions and practice or interpretation, not of doctrine. And as we look at the doctrines we find in the Word of God, the doctrines that we hold to are truths that cannot and will not change. We look at some things we stand on as a church. I'm not going to go through all of them tonight. I'm hoping over the next several weeks to go over some of these things. But we look at the Word of God that we have, and we have in our possession the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is an inspired and preserved, and God has given us that for the English-speaking people through the King James Version of the Bible. We look at the Godhead and what we have in the Word of God to describe it. We understand the Godhead is one triune God eternally existing in three persons. Jesus is God in the flesh. That matters. That opinion matters. There's, there's, there's different uh, denominations that will try to convince you that, that the three are not one, but they are. The Holy Spirit is not a force. He is a person. He is God. We look at what the church is. The church is not just a group of people that are gathering together to worship God. The church is a group of saved, baptized believers who voluntarily join themselves together to carry out the Great Commission. You know, we have two ordinances in the church that we've been given to do, baptism and the Lord's Supper. We understand salvation comes not by works, right, but by grace through faith. Just to name a few of those things. Doctrine matters. And the doctrines that we have as, as Baptists, the doctrines that we have set, set us apart from other groups. Now we think of the ordinance of baptism. The ordinance of baptism by immersion, as, as the Bible has clearly laid out, the doctrine of biblical baptism, it sets us apart from other denominations, doesn't it? Ones that may sprinkle, ones that may pour, ones that may practice infant baptism. We think of the autonomy of the local church. It sets us apart from other denominations that have a hierarchy. And we understand it's our duty as a church to stand on the doctrines God's given us and to believe and to preach, as I said this morning, all, the whole counsel of God. And that includes vital doctrines. So we need to understand tonight that as the world changes, as opinions change, as what is tolerated and what is not tolerated changes, as laws may change, as the beliefs of, of so-called Christians may change, biblical doctrine will never change. And as we look at the early church, they didn't have the completion of the Word of God. They didn't have everything that we have today, but we understand by what we read today, they had some doctrine straight, didn't they? The doctrine of this early church was biblical, and as we look at the doctrine of the early church, we look there starting in verse 22, they, were, they preached the, the true doctrine of Jesus. 
this message affirmed that Jesus was God in the flesh, and they, they spoke of him being from Nazareth, and they spoke of his crucifixion, his resurrection. And the church that God founded, the church that we find here in Acts, preached a message that exalted Jesus, proclaimed his death and resurrection, and pointed lost people to him and him alone. As the Bible tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That is the doctrine of Jesus. We look here in verse 23 and 36, we saw the doctrine of sin. He laid it out saying, whom ye crucified. You made the decision to kill him. You are sinners. And this message is crystal clear regarding sin, and it exposes the nature of sin. We look there beginning in verse 38, and they preached the doctrine of salvation. And this church was pointing a lost world to Jesus and to him alone. They didn't preach salvation through rituals. They didn't preach salvation through religion. It held Jesus up as the final and only solution to our problem of sin. We saw the doctrine of the sovereignty of God there in verse 39. His church understood and proclaimed that God is sovereign in salvation. He saves whom he will, when he will, where he will. He's the author and finisher of salvation. And all that call upon him, he's told us, shall be saved. It's his, his decision. He is in control of it. He calls his people. He redeems his people. In the message of a doctrinally correct church, unashamedly preaches that salvation is of the Lord. It's God who saves. We look at this church, we look at what was preached here, we look at what was spoken to these people, and this was a church with right doctrine that preached the right message. But as we turn the focus a little more tonight, we see that they had right doctrine, but because they had right doctrine, there were certain attributes that came. So let's see the attributes of the doctrinally correct church. This first one's pretty obvious, but one attribute of a doctrinally correct church is that their members are saved. Is that a shocking one for you tonight? <laughs> their members are saved. This, this church, as we look there in verse 37, was made up of people that were saved. It says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do there in verse 40? He says, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Save baptized membership. Who had a new birth experience. People, as we find in John chapter 3, were born again. Just as Jesus told Nicodemus had to be done. But as we look at the modern church, and as we look at many churches in the day and age we live in, that have swayed away from, from biblical doctrine. There's many churches that fill their membership with whoever they can and whatever the cost. And, and when that is the practice, there are countless problems that come from a church that allows that to happen. You know, don't get me wrong tonight, everybody is welcome in our church. And we need to make sure that we are doing everything we can to welcome Anybody that ever walks through these doors to sit in the pews and to be helped and encouraged by the preaching and teaching of the Word of God and to be part of our worship service, all of those things, we want everybody to come. But the Bible is clearly laid out who can be members and who cannot. And as we follow the doctrines we find in the Word of God, we will be a church that has saved, baptized members. People that are in good standing with God. These, this church had members that were saved. This church also had members that were separated. 
It said there in verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and of prayers. They continued living by the teachings they, were, they received from the apostles. They broke off fellowship with the world. They broke off fellowship with their old life. They came to Jesus Christ by faith, and by that they became a new creature. We understand by different things in the Word of God, no one, no child of God should have a problem holding to, to standards of separation and holiness. No child of God should have problems obeying what the Bible says. The Bible says in John chapter 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now we, we need to understand there are things that the Bible is clearly laid out when it comes to separation. There's things that are very clear, but there's also things that are preferences. We need to be careful as a church to understand what the Bible says is biblical separation and then what uh, many Christians have come to say is the only way of biblical separation. We need, to be, we need to understand we can stand on doctrine, but we can allow others to have different preferences as long as they are not contrary to the Word of God. You know, God wants His people to be holy. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, Be holy, for I am holy. I wasn't going to get into this tonight. I feel led to at the moment. But as we develop standards for our life, we, we could really, con, con, I, one way I was taught was this, it looked like a pyramid. And at the foundation of it, we have, we have the scripture of the word of God, okay? So we could take 1 Peter chapter 1 as an example. It says, be ye holy, for I am holy. And then from that, that passage of scripture, then we can have a biblical principle. We are to live holy. And then as we develop our standards for living, we understand the Bible says be ye holy. We understand from that we are to be living holy. So from that, we don't do things that are unholy. We can make a list of those things, can't we? That's how we should develop our standards. Not because someone's told you. That's what's We need to make sure they line up with the word of God. You know, God wants his people to be different. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. The members of a doctrinally correct church will be separated. Another thing we find from there in verse 42, their members will be faithful. You know, these people showed up for worship. These people showed up when the church was assembling together, and it says they continued daily in fellowship and breaking of bread and of prayers. That covers a lot of ground. And they each did their individual part as the body of Christ for the good and for the glory of God. And God expects us to be faithful, and if we're doctrinally correct church, we're going to be assembled together. Understanding that church is essential, understanding that, that our time together in the house of God is important and it's what God has instructed us to do. Members are faithful. The members are selfless. We look there in verse 44 and 45, and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men and every man had need. This church was marked by selflessness. This church was marked with a desire to help others and to serve others. The membership cared about the needs of other people. The membership cared about the needs of, of people in the community and had a desire to, to help in any way they could. 
I'm not asking anybody tonight to, to go home and sell, to go on Facebook Marketplace and sell everything or give it all away. We, we understand there's a, there's a balance to that. But what we need to be doing as a church is displaying the love of Christ. To have a giving heart and as God prompts, give. So those are, some those, those are the attributes we find of this church operating under biblical doctrine. Is that what we find in most churches today? You think about the modern church, and I'm not, I'm not just talking about the um, non-denominational churches we may find. I'm talking about many Baptist churches. We could look at many Baptist churches all across our country. And the attributes we find of those churches, is that what we find in modern churches? Is that what we find in independent Baptist churches today? You know, the modern church lacks many of the characteristics that made the early church such a sight to behold. And as we look at the modern church, one thing we see of it is that it's divided, isn't it? Many churches have been so hurt and so fractured that there can be little done in, 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 co in cooperation of issues that matter. So... Uh, off subject, so distracted, so consumed with things that do not matter that they're not doing what it is God's told them to do. They're divided. They're uncommitted. You know, many people in, in, in the generation in, in that we live in treat church like it's expendable. And, and church and, and commitment to church is conditioned on schedules or routines, convenience, uh, whatever may be going on at the moment. And then there's lack of commitment to the mission of the church, the worship of the church, the outreach, the needs of the church and so many today and the modern church has a uh, in, in many aspects has a take it or leave it or what can you do for me mindset as, as as it goes on I want to encourage you tonight set the example I'm thankful that we have many people that are that brought in visitors already this year we think of the the people that have come we need to set the example for the younger brothers or sisters in Christ for the for the for the baby Christians that that we'll be seeing here from time to time we need to set an example of true faithfulness you know, I'm very thankful for where I was able to spend my last 13 years of my life with my family. Thankful for the pastor that trained me. I'm thankful for uh, the opportunity I had to serve with, with, with many people, just the choir members that I had for the last seven years, all that went on in, in my training and in my, in my experience. And as I think about where I, I, I shared my testimony, was that just a week ago? Yeah, just, <laughs> just a week ago on where I, where I was about 13 years ago and where I am now. I shared a testimony with our church before we left that it was because of the faithfulness of so many of those people that I was encouraged to continue on there at the beginning. That I, that I just had a desire to do right by God and to have a relationship with Him. And the longer I, I served there at the church, the more I appreciated the, the faithfulness of the layman of the church and those that served in so many different ways. We need to set the example. I want to encourage you tonight, be faithful. Do, do, do what God is, has prompted you to do here at the church. Participate in ministries. Be faithful to the things here as much as you can. I know there's things that, that we can't help, but I want to encourage you to be faithful. Be committed to that. Another thing we see about the modern church is that it gives little attention to prayer, daily worship and devotion, personal holiness. And because those things are missing, 
many lost people may go into one of those churches and see no difference between people that profess to be Christians and them. People that are truly searching for hope, people that are truly searching for help, and they go into a place and they see people they see out in the world doing the same things that they are doing, or they see no power of God in those people's lives. There's so many churches today that are doing everything in their power to make themselves more attractive to a lost world. We need to do everything we can to reach the world, but not at the expense of moving away from biblical doctrine. Not at the expense of watering down our sermons or lowering our standards or, have, or adopting a different style of, of worship. You know, if we're going to impact the world for Christ we won't do it through our music or, or, or through subtle changes that, that we may bring in to attract the world. We're going to do it. We're going to impact this generation through the power of the Spirit of God. And His Spirit, His touch needs to be on our singing, on our preaching, on the membership of our church in our daily living. You know, if, we, if we really want to make a difference in Midland and Odessa, if we want to make a difference in the, the area that we live in, we need his power. We need his hand on it. We need his blessing on it. But many modern churches in the day that we live in lack that power. One last thing about the modern church, the modern church is not obedient. You know, you're holding in your hands tonight the, the word of God. We've been entrusted with the gospel. We the message that every lost soul needs to hear. And instead of taking that message to the lost and engaging them with the gospel, so often the modern Christian doesn't tell anyone. You know, a biblical church is going to have saved, separated, faithful, selfless, obedient members. If we want the power of God, those attributes need to be part of our church. So, if we have the right doctrine, and as we live by that doctrine, have the right attributes, what happens in that church? You know, Wednesday night we talked about prayer and the need for it and what happens to a church that prays. We understood that. What happens to a church that lives according to true doctrine? What is the fruit of a doctrinally correct church? You know, the first thing we, we see is it has proper worship. You know, I'm hoping before, here in the next couple months, to preach a, a message on worshiping God in spirit. We're going to have several theme messages that go along with the theme this year, maybe every other month, maybe every five, six weeks. I don't know exactly what it'll be, just as the Lord leads. We're going to look at John chapter 4 on what Jesus talking to the woman at the well, Brother David uh, taught that in Sunday school this morning. But he talked about what true worship was, and he says worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And this church met with God, met together for prayer and for instruction of the word of God and in worship. And their common goal was to worship their God, to grow in their faith, and to praise the one who redeemed them. And if we are here tonight and we, we, we come to each and every service, if we act as members of the church aware of biblical doctrine and with a desire to live according to that and not to give in to the, to the, the pressure of society, the pressure of the modern church, if we desire to continue to live by what thus saith the Lord, we will continue to have true, proper, God-honoring worship.
know, Paul, Paul described this desire in Philippians chapter 3 when he says that I may know him. If we truly want to know God, we're willing to suffer or take whatever it may be, whatever comes at us for his glory, so we can know him better. And as we worship him, we get to know him better. And to want to know God is to want to understand him to, be, to the greatest degree possible. And, and we can do that with, with the act of bowing to him in, in worship. You know, it's an awesome sight when Christians gather together in unity to worship and praise their God. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name should be not just a corporate thing, but a personal thing. A, a biblical church will have proper worship. That's a fruit of, of, of biblical doctrine. Second thing, a church that operates a biblical doctrine will be a church that has service. People that serve. If you look there in verse 44 and 45, and we've already talked about that a little bit. But this church had, as their common goal, the common good. They work to benefit others. They work to help others. And I want to tell you tonight, if you are saved, God has not called us, God has not called you to sit and do nothing. He's called us to work for him. He's called us to reach others. He's called us to go out and, and, to, and to reach the world to help others, to serve others. Not for our glory, not to get attention, not for the praise of men, but for the glory of God. And, and this church was a church of service. They were committed. It says they continued daily in these things. They did everything they could to help others and to, be, and to give to others to do whatever they could to, to serve as Christ would serve them. They were committed. You think of all the persecution they faced. You know, a few chapters, we get there to Acts chapter 7. We see a man by the name of Stephen. Stone for his faith. And just the next chapter, Acts chapter 4 and 5, we see John and Peter. They were arrested and they were beaten just for preaching what God said. We look in Acts chapter 8, we look in Acts chapter 9, this, this church operated under the threat of persecution and jail and death. But what do we find? What does it say about them? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine Daily. No matter what came their way, they continued to serve. No matter what opposition was there, they continued to do what it was that God would have them to do. They continued to worship Him. They continued to, to serve others. They continued to be committed to obeying Him. And not only was a fruit of theirs uh, serving, and not only was a fruit of theirs having proper worship, but we also find unity in that. I think, I think we can speculate tonight in, in people that are humans, people that are flesh, people that have a sinful nature. If there was persecution on all these people, do you think that people had different opinions on how they should meet together? What they could do to maybe be a little safer? What could they do to probably stay out of the spotlight a little bit? But, but what, we don't find anything about that in here. We, what we find is a description of unity. They united for fellowship, breaking of bread, and then what does it say? 
singleness of heart. There in verse 46. These people actually liked each other. You know, the church is not a social club. But few things create a bond like Christian fellowship. And few things contribute to the unity of a church like members coming together to serve God as a family. I want to tell you tonight, we are on the same team. We are serving the same God. We are headed to the same heaven. And I think if that is where we are headed, we can enjoy the trip together as we go. You know, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 1, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, what? Striving together for the faith of the gospel. And if we have a true understanding a biblical doctrine that, lead, that help, reminds us, it keeps us grounded to understand why we do what we do. No matter what distractions, no matter what sometimes our flesh may try to get us to think, as we live by His Spirit with one goal in mind to please God, we can serve in unity. Another fruit we find of this church that was living by biblical doctrine was they were a living testimony of the grace of God. Look there at verse 43. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. This church was made up of the right kind of people carrying out the right kind of ministry. And God did great and mighty things through them. We look there at verse 47. He added to their church daily. And he caused the community to no doubt take notice of what was going on to a point where they feared the power of God because something great was happening in this group of believers. 3,000 people in one day were added to this church. Can you imagine what people were talking about in the community? It was all because they were worshiping and focusing on the one true God, his way, not their way. There needs to be such a power on our church that even while the world may be opposed to us, they can't deny we've been with God. And they can't deny that he stands with us. Look at Acts chapter 4 verse 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they, they saw them as they were. Then what happened? They marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. As, as we operate as a church God's way, as we live by his spirit, as we live by his power, that same thing can be said of us. And the last thing. Not only were they a living testimony, not only did they worship have true worship, not only were they a church of service and unity and of commitment, but converts were added. Converts were added. Now, I'm, I'm very aware that I bring this up every service. <laughs> but this church was not ashamed of their message. And they all worked to spread it to a lost world. The very last command that Jesus gave us was to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
to go and teach all nations. And we need to make his last command our first priority as a church. God desires that we share what he's done for the lost. It's a short message tonight. And as we begin this short few weeks on doctrine, I'm very interested in our church, the church that God has has brought me here to pastor, to continue to be the right kind of church. I'm interested in having the same type of of attributes that we find in this church from 2,000 years ago. You know, the, the job of Southwest Baptist Church is as much as we want to reach people is not to be a safe social club that entertains. It's to be a church that stands on true doctrine. Not preferences. Not things that, that, that can change. Not things that are up to opinion. But things that will stand true for all of eternity. And we can accomplish great things as we earnestly contend for the faith and hold to the doctrines of God. Let's read verse 42 to the end of the chapter together. Will you read it with me? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods, and parted to all men as every man had need. Verse 46. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Doctrine matters. Do you appreciate it? And are you committed to stand for it? And if we truly are, if we are committed as a church to do that, great things can be done in Southwest Baptist Church. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is to serve you, the privilege that it is to have your word in our possession. And God, I pray that as we have your word tonight, or that we are aware that we have your absolute truth that will not change. God, I pray that you'd be with me as, as a pastor, God, to not be swayed by the things of this world, by opinions of men, but God, that I would stand on, this, on your word and on your doctrine. God, I pray that the people of our church would have a desire, God, to stand for what is right and to earnestly contend for the faith. God, I pray that as we do that and as we make that a priority, God, that, you would, that we would have those attributes we found in this first church. Whether we would have the fruit that came from that, and God, that you would bless our church where we can see great and mighty things happen for you. We love you and we thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together.